When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, it's Michael. We have a special bonus treat for you this week. I wanted to share with you all a sample episode of my new podcast, Slate Your Name. Each week on the show, I talk to fellow actors about the highs and lows of working in the entertainment industry. And this week, our guest is none other than Bryce Johnson. This is Bryce and I talking shop about Hollywood. It's basically a bonus BCC episode, but instead of chatting about Mothman, we're chatting about the existential dread of a life full of rejection. And if that wasn't enough for you, our theme music is by none other than Riley Bray. Here's Slate Your Name, episode four. We'll see you back here tomorrow for an all-new episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club. Enjoy. Hi, could you slate your name, please? Hi, I'm Bryce Johnson. I'm six foot two, based out of Los Angeles. Hello, audience. Welcome to Slate Your Name, the podcast where an actor, that's me, talks to other actors about living it up and down in the glorious world of entertainment. I'm your host, Michael McMillan, and this week I am talking with my co-host of my other podcast, Bigfoot Collectors Club, Mr. Bryce Johnson. I met Bryce when I was working on What I Like About You, and we later guest starred on the same episode of Major Crimes, a spinoff of The Closer, have you heard of it? Where we played reality TV competitors wrapped up in a good old-fashioned murder mystery. I was innocent. That reunion led to a friendship and a podcast about UFOs, ghosts, and Bigfoot. You know Bryce from popular Pretty Little Liars, Willow Creek, a great found footage horror movie by Bobcat Goldthwait, check that one out, and so much more. Bryce also hosts the Discovery Plus series Expedition Bigfoot, and season three of that show just started airing on that platform and on the Travel Channel this past Sunday, so check it out right now. I love Bryce. Uh, We're basically family at this point. He's got a big heart and an even bigger imagination. And it was fun to switch things up, take a break from the paranormal, and uh, talk shop for an hour. But if you are a listener to BCC, I think you'll especially appreciate this chat. Before we catch up with Bryce, let's call a company meeting. Don't forget, guys, you can write into the show at slateyournamepod at gmail.com with any questions or queries. And keep up with us on Instagram at slateyournamepodcast and on Twitter at slatepod. You know what you want to do? You want to follow. You want to you wanna click that follow. You want to follow the follow button down the Slate Your Name podcast hole on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on your favorite podcast app is what I'm I'm requesting you to do. Uh, and I listen, I would love to thank everyone who have been leaving five-star reviews for us on Apple Podcasts. This is huge. This this really helps the show grow. Here's one from Sarah T. Bella, who writes, A delight. Five stars. 
Michael is a lovely host who is personable, insightful, and always makes me laugh. So excited for this show and absolutely love the first ep. Sarah, I have never felt like more like I'm a dandy wit eating cucumber sandwiches in a in a garden party watching some croquet. Thank you so much for that review. Um, honestly, it, it made my entire day. Okay, meeting adjourned. Here is my conversation with my friend and co-host and fellow actor, Bryce Johnson. Bryce Johnson, welcome to Slate Your Name. Thanks, man. So happy to be here. I'm cheating on you with another podcast. I, I know. Apologize. I was thinking earlier, I was like, I hope I get to be one of those recurring guests on this on this acting podcast of yours for, for a couple reasons. One, I absolutely love talking about myself. And two, uh, I love talking about the business and craft of acting. So I'm so glad you started this podcast. Most actors do. That's why I thought, you know, it's hard, as you know, sometimes to get actors to come on and talk about uh, on a podcast and talk about UFOs and aliens. But <laughs> if you're like, do you want to complain about auditioning for 45 minutes? They, like, oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. hell yeah. We should get some of the paranormal stuff out of the way right up top. Are you superstitious when it comes to auditioning or any aspect of the business? Oh, man. I, I My daughter was in the car today and she and she was she said, you better knock on wood. And I said, you're not superstitious, are you? You don't believe in that stuff, right? Because that's a, I think that's like a, a slippery slope when you start, you know, believing in superstitions and stuff. So I try to stay away from being, you know, superstitious about auditioning and, and whatnot. But, you know, there is this thing like if you get a call back for a certain part, I think you're like, oh, I, well, I better not change up the wardrobe, you know. God forbid I knock myself out of the running if I fucking change shirts, you know, so. <laughs> but I, I think that's practical because that's like, hey, it worked, so let's let's we know it worked or at least didn't get in the way, so let's just yeah. keep what we know is working. But it's into, the socks in, and underwear that become a problem. You're like, oh, oh I, <laughs> <laughs> I understand now. Yeah, no, well, I, you know, I do all my auditions commando, so. <laughs> nice, You know, nice. sometimes on Zoom, I'm just pantsless, you know. Yeah, no, yeah. Right now, I'm, I'm not, pantsless now, yeah. so I know exactly what you're talking about. No, I don't do that. Um, And yeah, I don't, sometimes I've done, sometimes I have like, I did for a minute have a pair of socks and another, a friend of mine gave me, he didn't like them, and I started wearing them and I booked like a mm. job wearing them and I started to wear them to auditions you know it's like these are my lucky socks now you know yeah that's that's a thing right so if you like if you finally book something after a, a long dry spell and you were you know wearing a certain something or, or you put a certain crystal in your tiny little pocket you're like that was it that's the hack i gotta so, bring that crystal next time okay so you are doing some superstitious stuff you brought a crystal with you well sometimes i have i have what in my bedroom what i call like a little magic box and inside that okay now magic we're getting box, maybe I, keep... I shouldn't have called it superstition <laughs> but now we're getting into magic's some folk, a totally different thing folk magic for <laughs> actors that's what we're talking about yeah, so, I, okay, I, okay right, let's yeah. get into these rituals what do you do yeah busted well you know i have a little magic box and I keep certain talismans that have uh, significant or special meaning to me. And so sometimes I'll bring, you know, a, a stone or a crystal to, you know, just help bring in good vibes, man. But, yeah. uh, you know, I tend, I try not to be 
superstitious though because you know I, I I'm already usually in my head enough as it is I don't need anything else getting up there and going oh you didn't you didn't check off all the the list what about um telling people about auditions or you know what I mean like oh yeah that's a thing I remember too. I mean part of this again is practical but when when we were working on uh Bigfoot Collectors Club during the period where you were getting cast as the host of Expedition Bigfoot. Yeah. I remember you didn't talk about it until no. you had the job. And God, and, and right. Riley, our producer, and I were, were ecstatic, but also surprised that this had been going on for a, a number of weeks yeah. and you hadn't said anything. No, you're God, now you're you're really shining a light on all the, yeah. the intricacies because you're right, that is a thing too. But I think that has more to do with like um counting your chickens before they're hatched or whatever. It's like, I, I don't want to, I don't want all my friends and family to get excited about this, this prospect or this job that could go away tomorrow. And yeah. then I don't want to have to like tell everybody, no, I actually ended up losing that. Wah, wah, wah. You know, um, I had a good buddy, a great buddy of mine, James Matteo works all the time. A uh, great actor. Uh, you should get him on the podcast. He just uh, Love to. filmed the life story of of Willie Pep, the most winningest boxer of all time, and uh, the, oh, he did an incredible job with it. But uh, he worked on Band of Brothers, and I'm really close with the guy. And he didn't let me know that he got the job basically until he was on set. <laughs> you know, he was so wow. afraid it was gonna yeah. go away somehow, or he didn't want to jinx it. You know, so yeah, that's a real thing too. I think actors are like. Until that fucking checks in the mail and I see myself on screen, I'm not letting my family or friends know about it. Yeah, I, it is sometimes like until I because because that's the thing. There's so many markers you have to hit as an actor, right? Mm. First, you got to get the audition. Then you got to get the callback. Yeah. Then you got to get the test. Then you have to book the test. Yep. Then you have to make it through the table read. Then you have to make it through shooting the pilot. Yeah. Then the pilot has to get picked up. Then the pilot has to get picked up and you not be recast. Yes. Then and then the show has to, the series has to go to air. And then the series has to stay on the <sighs> air and you not get written off the show. You know what I mean? I, There's you know, constantly you're constantly going, I may not even like I filmed a commercial. Uh, this summer where yeah. I, I won't even say what it is, but it was cool. It's like this. It was the first one that I did that wasn't like, you know, a comedy scripted piece. And it was like a montage of like cool shots. And like I ended up they filmed me in a close up, all this stuff. Very cool director. And then when the, the edit came out, I'm literally in the background right. of a shot. It's like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, well, I, my parents have like, we haven't seen that one. I was like, you have, I bet you have, you just will not see me in it. So I you think just that's never where it know. comes from too, is, is like, people don't want to, you know, fortunately I've never been like completely edited out or, or my role hasn't been minimized to a degree where I'm like, oh, you missed me. But I think that's, that's part of the reason why actors and actresses do that is because you know, they they don't know if they're going to be edited out or they're going to end up on the cutting room floor. So they don't want to have to go through that thing where their mom was calling. I watched CSI Vegas. I didn't see you, you know, and they're like, they fucking cut me. That's why, you know. And oh, why are you? Were you not good enough or did you not say your lines right? Uh, but, yeah, I don't think people realize all the hurdles that 
that we as actors have to go through to to make it on a on a finished product you know even the table reading thing 10 years ago that wasn't really a thing you could sort of like walk your way through a table reading and be like oh that was fun not the case today. In today's table reading atmosphere, you have network executives, studio executives, usually monitoring via Zoom or some type of teleconference. And if you don't bring your fucking A game to a table read, you're gone. I did an episode of, uh, oh, I've done so many fucking guest stars, sometimes I forget. <laughs> but I played this guy who was, oh, it was Rob Lowe's uh, medical show. Um, okay. Uh, I forget Google what it. it was called. But, I'll Google uh, as you're telling the story. Yeah, he was a doctor. And anyway, so I, I play this worker who gets caught in a landslide. And they're, 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 <laughs> they're, Oh, wait. Are you talking about... Are you talking... You're not talking about Lone Star 911, No, right? this was a before Lone Star 911. Is he in that? He's in that one. Code yeah, Black. He, Code Black. That's it. Got it. Code Black. And so I play this, like, worker get who gets trapped in a landslide, and my best friend gets trapped in a landslide. Similar parts, about the same amount of lines, same amount of scenes. And I come to the table read, you know, I'm doing my scene. I like I'm filming it. Like, I'm I'm in it. I'm, like, playing it real. And, and the guy next to me who has the slightly bigger part but very similar is kind of just like listening to everybody do their reading. And he's like, <laughs> cool, cool. And then, he, you know, he's just kind of like, like he was there like interloping and I looked at him I was like uh bro I hope you bring it on set and cuz uh that ain't going to cut it and lo and behold I'm at home and I get a fucking phone call from the producers in a panic hey can you come in today and I was like uh yeah why I'm not supposed to work and they're like well actually you're not going to play your part anymore can you do the other part uh wow. we're letting that guy go and I was like oh shit it happened and uh, and I show and I was like, yeah, I'll be there. And I show up on the set. And uh, first of all, this the character in this, like I said, was caught in a landslide, so we're covered in mud and dirt. Our face is just in mud. And I see the actor sort of like huffing and puffing back to his trailer, covered in mud. And I'm like, oh, let me avoid him, you know? Oh, they fired. He was filming he that was day, fired. and they he was fired, fired him that day from set. And this is a scene with Rob Lowe and Louis Guzman where uh, it, it's like one of the opening scenes of our character. And so now they th they rush me through makeup. They rush me through hair. I'm, I'm quickly learning the new character's lines. And they put me on the stretcher, and boom, next thing I know, I'm in a fucking elevator with Rob Lowe and Louis Guzman. And Rob Lowe's like, okay, man, I hope you better bring it. And I'm like, oh, wow. shit. And so they roll me out. I do the scene. And here's where I, I here's where I think he fucked up because in the scene there's this line where like I pass my girlfriend or something, and Rob Lowe has a line where it's like God I didn't know it'd be like a reality TV show in here so I knew that whatever line I was delivering had to be like a heightened performance like like the shit was going down like it was like like a reality television show and I got that right because you're obviously as a guest star you're serving the series regular leads and so my text is serving up Rob Lowe and if you don't fucking serve up Rob Lowe he's gonna get your ass off the dance floor right and so I do the scene director's like cut you're a t-ball uh, post I'm a t-ball post exactly yeah. so I do the fucking scene and then cut print checking the gate moving on great Rob Lowe looks at me uh, Tom Brady coming off the bench. <laughs> and I was like, oh. I was like, oh, thank God. Thank God. Uh, but I had a good laugh about that one. Bryce Johnson, the Tom Brady 
of guest stars. I mean, <laughs> not a bad place to be in. I mean, you know. <laughs> no, man. No, I was I was uh I was pretty stoked to to make that work. Not as good as being the Tom Brady of football, but no, still not no, bad. Not no. not a thing. I'll take yeah. the Tom Brady of guest stars. That's crazy that the guy w- was fired from set. That that's a bad that's that's a phone call. Like you wonder like if you could follow go back and just follow the rest of his day. That you know that was a shitty day. You know the phone call he got from his agents was not fun no. or his manager or whatever. No, that um, could make or break your career. Like if you don't have a great relationship with your agents and managers and and producers are calling telling you he's not cutting it. He didn't he's not performing. We we're letting him go. Uh, you're, if you're an agent or manager, you're gonna be you're gonna be pissed unless you're one of those guys who're like, oh, they just don't get you, Brian. Don't worry about it. You know. <laughs> you wonder if like he must have nailed the audition. Yeah. Or maybe he knew somebody who worked on the show. I don't know, but you got to figure like he did something right to get the job. I imagine the he, job. I imagine he nailed the audition. And I and I sort of usually work backwards. I sometimes I'll nail an audition. Rarely I'll nail an audition, and but when I do get the job, if it seems the audition was good enough to hire me, then I can really add on to the performance. My performance gets better after I book it. First of all, all the tension and nerves are gone now. Like when I get on set, I'm very comfortable being there. It's the audition process that sort of drives me haywire. But after I get the job, there's this sense of relief. And I get to put on the clothes. I get to act within the this on the set with the other actors. So it all becomes more real to me. I mean, when you're in an audition, it's just you standing. You have a tiny little space to work. The walls are blank. There's no props. You're not in the exact wardrobe. And you're usually talking to somebody who's like looking down at their paper, trying to give you the lines. It's a very surreal experience. Uh, one that doesn't match the experience that, that that happens when you're on set doing it. Yeah, no, that's the frustrating thing, especially for working class actors like you and you and me, where we, you know, you just want to be like, can they can these casting agencies or, you know, the casting directors, can we just have a pool of people that you generally see on TV a lot and maybe do like a tiny offer pool out of us? You know what I mean? Oh, oh my God. Like. It makes sense to me that names get offered stuff all the time. Those are the people you may hinge the entire, like Rob Lowe, let's get Rob Lowe on this, or let's get, you know, Aubrey Plaza on this, or, you know, I'm yep. just pulling names out from Parks and Recreation cast now. But, um, but, but like, it would be so great if there was, like, let's get the, like, the, the B bench, uh, offers out. Like, hey, Michael McMillan, Bryce John, Bryce Johnson's been in a million things. He looks yeah. right for this role. He's the right type. He's gonna do a good job. Can we just offer it straight to him and not go through this entire casting process? <sighs> Wouldn't that be fucking sweet? You know, that rarely happens because usually if you think about it, the producers aren't seeing once the producers have cast their leads. They're in control mode now, so they're trying to control these episodes, and they get different directors for every episode, so usually the director coming on to a series, they don't really get to direct the leads too much or you know direct their characters too much because they already know what they're doing and who their characters are, but the directors will really focus in on those guest stars who are shoveling the exposition for the show, you know, so they want to know... That the, they want to see guest star tapes, they want to see day player tapes, they want to they they want to they want to gain as much control back of their episode as they can. 
Um, and they don't get to do that when there's already the series leads picked out and, and you know, the cinema, cinematographer is usually already established. And so they're going to try and control what they can. And that means us, the working actor, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. It is so fascinating. I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, actors going back to sort of like bringing the crystals and good luck charms and, you know, folk bringing folk magic into it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I was talking to uh, Adela Levine, uh, a medium and intuitive who's been on our podcast. Yeah, uh, she's great. Lectures Club a number of times, Um, you know, and she talks about manifestation work. And it's like all this like cosmic shit we're trying to do to get a three episode arc on, you know, a network TV show yeah. and wondering like what, I mean, obviously we're aiming higher than that as well, but we think it's like this big mystery, right? How does this whole thing work? And I think it's just, honestly, the longer I'm in it, I think there's no mystery behind it. It's just sort of like, it's part of a big machine. And sometime the machine goes, that's the cog we need. And you get picked up yeah. and carried and put into the machine and then taken back out, you know, as needed. Well, I agree with that. And that being said, there is something to this idea of when you know exactly what you want, you are able to manifest it in a more in a more tangible way. I've we've talked about your role on Six Feet Under and, and my or true role, blood. Uh, on True Blood, that's right. Mm-hmm. And my role on like popular. So when I was waiting tables, I would have to drive to Pasadena from from Hollywood, and I would pass by the Warner Brothers lot every day, getting onto the highway, and I would see all their, you know, this was for WBTV back in the day when it was on. Uh, the WB formed with the. Uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, a long time <laughs> before, ago, there was before it became CW. Yes, before it became the CW, there was the WB Television Network, and I would see all these billboards of these sort of teen-oriented shows, and I would and I would and I would pass by the highway. I would look there, and I had this dream catcher hanging from my rearview mirror. And in my mind, I'd be like, one day I'm going to be on one of those shows, and I'd kiss my dream catcher. And but uh, and as I did this every this day, the man going who said work, he's not superstitious, everybody, he doesn't believe. <laughs> I know. Isn't that so funny? But as I did this every day going to work, I really started to crystallize in my head exactly the type of role I wanted, the type of the network I wanted to be on, where I wanted to work, the type of show I wanted to be on. And uh, and I'll be goddamned if it didn't come to fruition. So I think when you really when you're really able to focus in on the type of role you want to play, the type of network you want to be on, the the type of show, the type of acting you want to do, that it that it, it can help the universe sort of pull from that. And because uh, you know, look, I am a, a a spiritual guy, and I do believe in the mysteries of the universe. I don't know what they are and how uh, they mechanistically work, but there is something there to manifesting. Uh, your reality that being said don't count on it to book jobs do the fucking work you know yeah it's a two-way thing i guess it's like you can't just stuff doesn't just fall in your lap you know you have to be on the lookout for it too um you talked about the true blood thing and i don't think you've talked about this on the show yet but that was a situation where i had had a near miss with six feet under 
um, a number of years before I auditioned for True Blood. And I, I, I was walking around for years when people would say, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. I'd say, I want to be on an HBO show. In fact, I'd, I want to be on an Alan Ball HBO show. Like, right. that's what I would say. Like, that's my dream. Anything else is great, but that's specifically where I saw myself. And I was working on a movie, actually, and a friend of mine was getting the breakdowns. And I happened to see the breakdown, which actors aren't supposed to get. Maybe I have talked about this on the podcast. If I have, we'll just cut this part out. But um, that uh, they they were casting for the role of Steve Newland, who the, that I ended up playing on True Blood, and this was like yesterday's breakdowns. Like auditions were going out, and I was not being sent in for this. Right. But I read the breakdown. I was a little young for it on the breakdown, but I called my manager. I was like, "This is it." This is the thing you have to get me in for this. And casting even pushed back. Wow. Casting was like, I don't, we don't think he's right for this. And lo and behold, I got brought in. I, it was straight to Alan Ball, who remembered me from five years before. I ran the scene with him twice. And later that day, I got a call saying that, you know, I booked a job and that they were going to make me a series regular for season two. Isn't that And incredible. it was just like, had I not seen that right. little tiny breakdown, I never would have gotten that job. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. And you knew from you sort of picking that out in your own mind before that, like, I want this job and this is an important part. I deserve this job. You know, I think that that is a huge part of it, too. If we feel like we don't deserve to be there, then we're then you're probably not going to be there. So whatever that means to you, you have to work up that that feeling of deservedness. And I think that comes from, you know, uh, working on your craft, uh, being healthy, you know, communicating, networking, being attentive to what the business is is offering and what is it what it's asking for. So, because uh, I know a lot of people who are great, but they feel like they don't deserve to be there, and they're and they're not, you know. So, where did you pick this stuff up? You didn't go to college for theater, no. correct? Like you came straight. You now remind me. I know that you're you uh have roots in Reno and in Iowa correct yeah, that's well and Denver in mostly so I, I okay, was Denver. born in Reno my parents divorced my mom moved to Denver uh, where me okay. and my older brother spent most of our schooling years and then and then after I graduated high school I moved to Iowa for about a year and a half two years but you know it was it was in high school that uh, I was really fledgling I, I mean flailing I, I I didn't know what I want to do. I I had no idea. I was sort of a class clown, and and uh, you know, my buddy was like, "Hey, you should join the Navy with me. I'm going to go in the Navy." And I was like, "Okay, I don't have anything fucking else to do." And and I shaved my head, and my both my parents were like, "Bryce, please don't do that." N- nothing against the military. <laughs> my father was in the army. They just knew me. They they they, yeah. they were like, "Bryce, I don't think you're cut out for the military. You're not. You know, you have a personality. You have." Just, you know, anything else. And I saw my older brother, Brendan, in the play South Pacific. Now, my brother, Brendan, I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this, but he was sort of a a closeted uh, gay person at that time. And he hadn't come out yet. And uh, maybe to a couple of his close friends. And and so our relationship in high school was wasn't the best because I didn't really know who he was, you know, Mm because he kept that from me. And, uh, and, and, a, and a lot of, and a lot of our other family and friends as well. But when I saw him on stage, I saw who my brother truly was. He was, 
He was like vibrant. He was electric. He was singing and dancing. And I was like, Brendan, <laughs> like I could not believe that was him. And I, and like a light bulb went off. I was like, Oh my God, you can, you can become anything you want to be. You can like, you can like really shine and, and be who you really are on this stage. And it was like a fucking light bulb moment. And I credit my brother for sparking that that interest in me and it clicked clicked like I said like that I was like I'm going to become an actor and I was like wow. if my brother can do it so can I and it I made up my mind that very moment that from then on I was going to pursue acting and I was at some, after high school I was going to um drive to LA and and become an actor we ended up going to Iowa because my stepfather passed away in a car accident. My mom wanted to move closer back to her relatives in Iowa. And so I was like, okay, I feel guilty moving right to LA. So uh-huh. I'm going to come back to Iowa with you, help you settle in with my younger brother, Brett. And, and then I'll go out. But I, and then I'm, so I moved to Iowa knowing that I was only going to stay there temporarily and move to LA to become an actor. And so I got two jobs in the mall working at the same mall, working at American Eagle and Charlie's mm-hmm. beer novelties. And uh, <laughs> yeah. And I would well, tell, people, tell me more about Charlie's beer novelties. Oh, it was great. I was like, Oh, it was, they, we sold like NASCAR stuff and beer steins. And it was, it was a great little job. When I told my friends, I was like, well, I'm only going to be here for a short time. I'm, I'm moving to LA to become an actor. They're like, yeah, right. Yeah, sure you are. They just couldn't wrap their minds around that I that I had these these big ambitions, you know. So what were you doing during that time to sort of prep? Were you watching a lot of movies? Were you taking classes? Were you doing community theater? I didn't go to college like you said, but so I was like, well, I'm here. Let me see if I can take a class. And so there's this community college called Western Iowa Tech, and they, they offered huge theater school, huge theater school in the Midwest. And I took acting 101 and uh, it was like just sort of this beginner's course. God. And I had no idea what I was doing. And they asked me to prepare a monologue. And I remembered I loved the movie Reservoir Dogs when Tim Roth's character is trying to prepare a monologue for his uh, going undercover and telling this story. And I was like, oh, I'll do that because that's got to be similar. He's preparing a monologue. I'm preparing a monologue. And so I put the tape in and I wrote down his whole speech. And God, when you write down Quentin Tarantino's uh, fucking words, they look so great on paper and they sound so great. And, but that's the monologue I prepared, and I did that Tim Roth speech from uh, from Reservoir Dogs. So how long was it be- between the time you saw your brother do a play mm. and and you actually setting foot on stage in a play? Did you do plays in high school? No, I never did Never did a play in high school. Never did a... You know, the closest thing I I got was once I moved to L.A. when I was 19 in the summer of 96, I... Uh, I attended the American Academy of Dramatic Arts summer okay. program. Oh, okay. And that was kind of a stage training thing, but not really. And, and you know, they didn't want you to audition for, for parts. They wanted you to just focus on school and come back for their yearly semester. And I was like, well, well, fuck that. I don't have time for that. I'm like, I got to get an acting job. Otherwise, I'm going to run out of money soon, you know, and I can't afford the yearly school. So as soon as that summer program ended... I started, you know, finding any kind of job I could get. I bust tables, sold AT&T, 
uh, sold computer and toner ribbon, uh, ugh, lots of sales jobs. How did you finally get an agent, land an agent? Well, I, I finally, I forget how it happened, but I, I, I caught a manager. I caught the attention of a manager. I met him, and then he helped me find an, an agent. But yeah, I, you know, I actually, I did end up doing one one real play at the Geffen Theater Playhouse. It was called... Uh, oh, wow. Oh, it was that... This was later in my career after I had already worked a little bit. It was it was that baseball play. Take, Take me, me out, out is the name of it. It was won the Tony on the East Coast, and this was the West Coast premiere. I had to get naked in front of like the whole cast. We had to do like be naked on stage, and I was like, oh Jesus Christ! But I've I always, done that before. Yeah, I always thought that like so. There's a few obstacle barriers that actors I think have to overcome. One of them is being emotional or, you know, having the ability to bring up emotion and be able to cry. And that's an obstacle for a lot of actors. And then I and I saw another one is like being nude on stage. So I was like, I was like, oh, well, here's a chance to do something that, you know, overcome that obstacle. And it and it scared me. And and I like doing the things that 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 scare me or 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 or, I you know, as soon as I'm scared about something, I have to do it, you know, so. But man, I'm all over the place. There's, I feel like there's so much information I want to get in. And like I said, I love talking about this stuff. You'll have to bring me back. <laughs> no, no, this is all great. We're actually going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to focus in on some of these jobs that you landed over the years. We'll oh, great. We'll be right back with great. Bryce Johnson. Okay, we're back from break with Bryce Johnson, my good buddy. I'm going to pull up your IMDb page. Yes, great. And I'm going to scroll through, and I'm going to pick some character names that you've played over the years. Yep. And you're going to tell me what show that was from. This is a a little activity I call Show Me Your Name. Show Me Your Name. Okay, great. Here's one, Paul. Do you remember playing Paul? Oh, just a first name? name? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, just fuck. the first name. Paul. I can give you some hints if you need some hints. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm going to need a hint. Okay, this was uh, 2001. Uh, uh, oh, was this Gilmore Girls? This was Gilmore Girls. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's great. I saw okay. a clip of this pop up not too long ago in my Instagram feed, and I was thrilled. The actress who played your mother posted it, <laughs> and there was a clip of you hanging out in a diner. Yeah. So you played. Tell me about this role, Paul. Do you remember? Yeah. So this this, this this was very gimmicky. It was the old switcheroo. So it basically, you know, they wanted this guy uh, who could look sort of older and then shave off his beard and look very young. And and so because he's supposed to be asking out Laura Lynn, I think is her name on the show. And so I had a beard because it was summer. I just finished. Uh, popular and so I was scruffy and had longer hair and uh the first scene I'm like I kind of pick up on her and she thinks I might be like like maybe a an assistant professor or somebody who's a little older maybe in his 30s and and I'm very you know calm and relaxed and and we sort of hit it off and I and I'm able to get a date with her and then until a few scenes later uh I come to the uh whatever and my par- with with my parents in tow, like I guess they were in town or something. And I'm shaved and I'm in a baseball cap and I'm like, can I have a cheese croissant? You know, or whatever the fuck, whatever the scene was. And she's like, oh, my God, is that the same guy? 
so th- so that was that. The old play old, play really young. I mean, you played it again in an episode of What I Like About You that I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> the exact same part. Yeah, that's part exactly right. Where Jenny, you, I think you ask out Jenny Garth, and then she finds out later that you're she's like going to prom with yeah, you that's guy, right. with like a high that's school exactly guy. That's exactly right. Which is, I, I mean, that was a bit of a stretch. Listen, I didn't break down. I broke down the plot for another episode, and then last minute I got handed that script. So these weren't my <laughs> ideas originally, okay? But you did play that again, and that's how we actually met. I was in the room when you got yeah, cast. Yeah, how funny is that? Yeah, like you wrote you. That, that great episode, and, and I was fortunate enough to be a, a guest star in there. I appreciate you saying it was great. Okay, library guy. Same year. In fact, this is the next job oh, yeah. you booked after playing Paul. You played No, library I know Library guy. guy. That was Dawson's Creek, Four Scary Stories, because I got to uh, work alongside Katie Holmes, and I was I was really excited about that. I was like, oh, maybe I got a shot at her. Until her boyfriend came, drove all the way oh, from... Uh, it was... Uh, what's the dude's name from American Pie? Chris something... the. Oh, Chris, Chris Klein. Klein. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She I was like, we got to talk for a long like, time. Oh, I'm excited because my my boyfriend's driving all the way up to see me. And I was like, oh, shit. Who's, who's your boyfriend? She's like, Chris Klein. I was like, damn. Uh, well, I guess I'm out of that running. Uh, but I, it was that job that... Uh, all the guys that came on that set hoping to like fall in love with Katie Holmes. <laughs> I mean... Just guest star after guest star. I know, star. it's true. But then it was it was during that episode when uh, I was in North Carolina where they filmed that, that 9-11 happened. And so um, I'll always remember because that's that's where I was. I was. I was on set filming when, when we all sort of found out oh, about wild. it. Oh, wild. Yeah. Wild. That's very strange. What a surreal experience to be like. I was I was with the cast of Dawson's Creek when 9/11. Oh yeah, happened. no, totally. That's very strange. Yeah, we all had this What that's like that's like that is like a dream. That's like a dream somebody would have like it was weird. I was like filming Dawson's Creek and there were and then like on TV there was this terrorist yeah. attack and like you know like what a surreal it experience. It was surreal. An already surreal one being heightened into absurdity. Yeah. yeah. Um Library guy. Never knew that. What about Of course you remember Library guy. How about this character, Nick Cool Emerson? <laughs> How could I not remember a, a guy named Nick Cool Emerson? Uh, so I think this was one of my CSI stints, and I've done I've That's done correct. a few different CSIs. You did two back to back episodes of different CSI shows. Do you remember which CSI I this don't. was? You get bonus I, points. Uh, I'm going to guess. Uh, was it CSI? The God damn. Uh the one with Gary Sinise maybe or or old that one is is that CSI New York because that's what this okay. one was. I did I worked with Gary. Yeah, that was it. You're right. C- CSI New York, which I also I did an episode of that where my character drove a freight truck full of party party goers. Like a mobile oh, party yeah. truck. I drove it into I drove it into the Hudson River. And I remember. Them all. <laughs> <laughs> I remember telling me because you had to film underwater scenes, right? Yeah, I had to. I had to like swim sixteen feet down into a, a, a like a cab of a That's truck. That's crazy. Shut myself in and then pretend like I was going to drown. It was wild. <sighs> That's crazy. Um, that would be tough to do. What was Nick Cool Emerson? He was deal? so. He was like a. Uh, this is so stupid and so funny. He was like. Uh, what? He, oh, he was a hype man. Like, yo, this is my boy Tony. Watch him dance. 
go Tony, go Tony. (laughs) I could not believe I was like playing this role. And then he ends up killing somebody and he's on the line for it. And of course, as in all CSIs, then you got to end up in that interrogation room where you're just, you know, spewing out the exposition of the show for that one storyline. And I didn't didn't know where he was. It was my fault. And Gary Sinise kind of, Gary Sinise (laughs) kind of chimes in. So you knew. And then like, they always have like, you know, three lines two let like two, two words and like three lines and just a, a, yeah, because they don't want dialogue. They don't want to come in and learn dialogue that day. It makes their job so much easier if they just go, huh. huh. So that that's, you know, like, and then and then whoever's like the younger, newer main main cast member will get all the dialogue in that scene. And they just, you know, guys like Gary Sinise, they just stand over their shoulder and nod their head and squint yeah, their eyes. Yeah, yeah. I remember him being a sweetheart of a man, though, because so after I sort of do my interrogation scene and and it was an emotional scene. He's kind of, he, he kind of, okay, cut. That's it. Great job, Bryce. He goes, gives me a wink. And he's like, nice job, kid. You know, and you're kind of like, oh, right. Captain Dan just winked at me. Lieutenant, Lieutenant Dan. Thank you very that's much. Right. Lieutenant Dan just winked at me and, and told me good job. So what's Lee Dirks? Do you remember playing a Lee Dirks? Mm. This is more recent. Oh, man. Mm, that's not ringing any bells off the bat. Um, is, I'm going to say the name of the episode. Go uh, on. No, uh, I got nothing. The name of the episode was the pleasure protocol. Oh, the, oh yeah. So this was uh masters of sex, right? Yeah. So well, uh, that was, uh, yes. With, um, Lizzie yeah, Kaplan that's right. So see, this is how actors know Michael Sheen? When, when, when you name the episode, title is because when we get residual checks what they call mailbox money they always have the name of the episode that you're so you're always looking for okay who paid me today what which one of these guest stars is gonna gonna help buy me lunch today and you're like oh the pleasure protocol (laughs) masters of sex 36 dollars and 42 cents nice but yeah that was that was a cool role i was excited because well, because it was a really popular show and it was a period piece. I loved, I, you know, I haven't done a lot of period stuff, so I was excited to sort of uh, play in the 60s. And uh, and then you're like, oh, my God, there's an intimate scene with Lizzie Kaplan. That that ought to be. Whoa. Like, I hope that goes well. And, and those are always very awkward and very um, strange to do. But uh, but it went well. It worked out great. And that was a, that was a fun little gig. Did you show your butt in that one? No, I didn't have to show my butt. Thank goodness, because uh, I've done that a few times now. And uh, but yeah, no, no, there was no nudity, and and uh, and I was sort of happy about that. Yeah, I would say any day you don't have to do nudity is a good day. I, yeah. you know, even even around the house. Yeah, I just did a film where <laughs> hanging out at uh, home recently, where I I did have to do some nudity, and I. And normally I would have been like, ah, you know, they, they wanted to show my butt. And I was just like, oh, well, normally I'll just I'll just be naked on set. But for some reason, I was like, you know, let me see these sock cocks you guys have. Let me let me try a couple of these on. <laughs> Wait a minute. I think you mean cock, cock socks. Sock. Yes. And so <laughs> and it's the fucking weirdest thing. I'm in a I'm in a tiny room by myself going. No, this one's a little weird. Oh, wait, this one has fish string yep. wire. They'll, no, they'll see my. They'll see my muffin tops if I wear the fish string wire around the waist. And then I was Oof. like, I guess I'm just going with the old school uh, cock sock. <laughs> I was like, 
Yep. I you're speaking to a man who's basically all muffin top and I've had to wear one of those on set before with a pasty. Oh my god. It, like a Ken doll like band-aid covering my yeah, area. It's humiliating. Because there was a minor on set. My uh scene partner, this is for Shameless, was sixteen. Oh my god. Uh the most uncomfortable I've wow. ever been on on a set, like by far. Just talk about like a tough guest star gig where you're like i don't know any of these people my co-star it's she's like walking in on me coming out oh of the shower God. like got no heads up really in advance that i would i would be like naked did not feel camera ready for any of this stuff i it was it was terrible yeah and my character i think was supposed to have a bigger arc and i did not come back after that episode so and part of me was relieved you know, I was like, I don't want to know. I don't yeah. want to know. Strange business. Yeah, it very much is. Speaking of it being a strange business, we're going to have you tease us an ep- uh, a story, a strange or funny or story that happened to you while you're, during your many years out here in L.A. as an actor. Uh, and we're going to go over to the Patreon, Great. the Green Room. And uh, tell that there. But before we do that, before you queue it up, I just want to say thank you, Bryce Johnson, for being on Slate Your Name. We appreciate you being here. Do you have any projects you want to plug? Um, let's see. Other than, oh, I have a new season. So outside of acting, I am involved in what I like to call some adventure television. I produce and star on a show for the Travel Channel called Expedition Bigfoot, where I've teamed up with uh, some of the world's best scientists and, and survivalists and researchers in search for evidence of the elusive creature uh, known as Bigfoot. Uh, so it, it's an incredible show, airs on the Discovery Plus platform. I highly recommend it if you're interested in, in, in the mysteries of the world and the forests because uh, there's something going on out there, and we try to get to the bottom of that. And and also, I just filmed a uh, a new movie called The Other People. It's a it's a cool little horror film that hopefully should be coming out in the next year or so. Awesome, yeah! And check out our podcast, which is also adjacent to your show, Bigfoot Collectors Club. Yeah, uh, on this very on this very network of that's Camp right. Fire. And don't forget uh, to head out. over We're... to uh, Michael's Patreon for this because I got a little story for you that I think is pretty good. Yeah, you're not going to want to miss that. Can you that. give us a little tease? Yeah, okay, so great. Give us uh, a little... Here's a little tease. Your first film is a very important one. I learned this from uh, uh, listening to, it was Denzel Washington on some sort of uh, podcast or YouTube video where he's talking to Sidney Poitier, Sidney Poitier. I guess Denzel Washington was up for some big movie where it was going to be his first film. And he was like, you know, not too excited about the role in the script, but they were going to pay him a lot of money. And he called Sidney Poitier for advice, and and Sidney said to him, Denzel, all I can offer you is this. The very first film you do will set the tone for the rest of your career. Now, that being said, Denzel did not end up doing that first film and went on to have an incredible, illustrious career. I wish somebody would have gave me that advice. Because uh, I'm going to tell you about the disaster that was my very first feature film. Oh, man, I cannot wait for this. Join us over on the Patreon. Uh, slate your name, The Green Room. Bryce, thanks again for uh, being here. Very much Yeah, my pleasure. It. Thanks for having me. And you know what? Like a guest star role, maybe this will recur. Maybe you'll be back Let on this podcast put my magic day. crystal in my pocket and hope.
Okay, folks, you can join Bryce and me over in the Slate Your Name green room now at patreon.com slash Slate Your Name. Not only does Bryce share that story of his first movie, he also sticks around and helps me answer a burning Hollywood question. So all of that is waiting for you right now at patreon.com slash Slate Your Name. What if it was something else all of a sudden? Wouldn't that be surprising? Twist ending! As for me, please follow me on Instagram at McMills. And if you like this show, please do check out Bigfoot Collectors Club. If you're looking for some help with an upcoming audition, I provide coaching. Book a Zoom session with me by writing me an email at bookitwithmike at gmail.com. I want to thank Bryce one last time for joining me and give a big thanks to Ryan Count's house who engineers and edits each episode. And of course, a dear thank you to our house musician, Riley Bray. Until I discover my catchphrase, thanks for listening and I'll see you next week. Slate Your Name is executive produced by Ryan Counts House and Michael McMillan and engineered by Ryan Counts House. Our theme music is by Riley Bray. Please like and follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible. And if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts.